think about all the time and effort that went into you know the entire data process and pipeline because it's not just you collecting data you know depending on the organization that you're in most of the time strength conditioning coaches are assisting uh, with certain aspects of data collection sports medicine practitioners whether it's pts atcs you have analytics who built out apis and pipelines for game stats and things of that nature so the things that you're presenting have a lot of effort behind them so i think it, it would be a disservice to present ugly charts and graphs. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. Today, I'm speaking to Ryan Curtis, Sports Science Coordinator at the San Antonio Spurs. Much of today's chat is focused around a thread that Jose Fernandez, a, a mutual friend of, of mine, Ryan's, put out on Twitter a while ago. And it is how data is affecting us as strength and conditioning coaches. And is there a minimum level of data skills that coaches should have based on the, the the world in 2020 with the amount of technology and the amount of data that has been generated. So we have a little chat around that, but we also have a little chat around ensuring athlete buy-in when we're using technology, when we're, when we're collecting data from our athletes, how we ensure that that gets fed back to them and that gets used to then continue the cycle with that athlete happy to be in that process. Then we have a little chat around Ryan's background from collegiate, military, tennis, collegiate, and then basketball. How did he offer value in the first couple of weeks in a new sport? So really, really interesting chat with a, a fascinating guy in Ryan with, again, a non-traditional background, um, but loved having Ryan on the podcast and look forward to seeing what you think. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website, hawkingdynamics.com, to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. Smarterbase from Fusion Sport is the premier human performance optimization platform for elite sports teams and military organizations. Built on infinitely configurable framework, Smarterbase is the most flexible software on the market. Create an adaptable solution to support your unique strategy, process, and culture for a fraction of the cost and time it takes to build your own. Centralize your performance and health data by easily integrating with other tech and data systems using Smarterbase's robust API and custom-built connectors. Improve performance and reduce injury by enabling better communication and decision-making with role-based access, custom workflows, mobile apps, and personalized visual dashboards. And with the Smarterbase success guarantee, you can be confident in your human performance solution and the people who stand behind it. 
visit fusionsport.com forward slash smarterbase to learn how smarterbase can help you improve athlete performance and service member combat readiness and this episode is also sponsored by Tanta College. Tanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Santa College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit tantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. So without further ado, over to the episode with Ryan. Ryan Curtis, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you and thank you very much for getting me into a very busy schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me. I've, you know, I've listened to the show for quite a while, so it's an honor. Yeah, my pleasure. So you're in Vegas at the minute? Yeah, yeah. Summer League? Yeah, absolutely. Vegas. Um, been here for, for a few days. We've, you know, had several young draft picks that, you know, we're able to see play and, and some other players as well. So it's a good, uh, good developmental opportunity for some of our guys. And it's the NBSCA or has been the MBSCA event, or is that coming up? Uh, yeah, so MBSCA is, is going on here. They've had you know several events, some tech summits and so forth. Um, so always good to connect with those guys. Absolutely. No, it looks a, looks a great lineup. I was very jealous when I saw the lineup, and I thought I'd love to get out there at some point and uh, be a part of that conference. Is it always in Vegas, the MBSCA conference? Uh, no, they've, you know, well... Yes, they do have a conference that's in Vegas, um, you know, during summer league. But there are quite a few events throughout the throughout the season, especially at the draft combine when we were there, um, you know, a month ago. They've they've had they're really good about putting on really quality events. Nice, cool. Well, anyone that doesn't know who you are, Ryan, would you mind just giving us a bit of a background on you, how you've got to where you've got? I think it's an interesting journey. So over to you. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I would I would say. You know, my journey has been relatively varied. I, I always like to start, you know, I'm, I'm an athlete first. I think my career started as an athlete. I played um, played at a very small school in Northeast Missouri. I played at uh, Culver Stockton College and played football, uh, American football. I was a linebacker. And um, at that point in time, you know, I was, I was all about sports. That was, you know, that was my primary motive. But I knew that I wanted to, uh, to be in sports for my career. I knew that at a, you know, at a young age. And uh, athletic training was was what I pursued initially. It was a really great background from a from a sports medicine perspective. Um, really laid a lot of foundations for me in my career. Um, got an opportunity for, at Kansas State after that to uh, work as a graduate assistant athletic trainer. Um, was able to work under some really uh, quality personnel and individuals there. Um, got my master's in kinesiology at the same time. Um, 
got my first, you know, my first real job was with the United States Marine Corps, which, which was a, just a really unique opportunity. Um, was hired on there as a athletic trainer and, and strength conditioning coach. It was kind of a, you know, dual role position. A lot of the positions that, you know, that I've had throughout my career have been kind of dual role, um, which I really, I really enjoy. I think strength conditioning and, and sports medicine are very closely uh, aligned. Um, but yeah, so I was out at the Naval Air Station in, in Pensacola, Florida, working for the Marine Corps. Um, shortly, uh, there was kind of a short stint there. I was able to get an opportunity with the United States Tennis Association. Um, you know, I hadn't had a ton of experience when I was at Kansas State. I'd worked with football, I'd worked with tennis, um, but had, you know, minimal exposure uh, to tennis. But they were they were looking for a you know a dual role uh, individual strength conditioning athletic training. Um, they had a you know a great youth program plus you know all the pros and, and such that were in and out of that uh, that facility. I was based in LA for that opportunity, and um, I was able to work there. That was how I first Mark, uh, met Mark Kovacs, who I know you've had you know you've mm-hmm. had on the show. He's just a just a brilliant brilliant mind. So that was that was my first exposure to what I would say is, you know, a, a quality, real sports scientist. And, you know, he's been a, he's been a great mentor for me from, from day one and somebody that, you know, I've been able to lean on throughout, throughout my career. Um, but yeah, at the USTA for, for a few years, got some opportunities to start working privately with some players um, on the ATP and WTA tour. So I ended up spending about three years uh, working with, you know, various pros, both on the on the male and female side, uh, just kind of as a personal strength conditioning coach, uh, personal athletic trainer, really great experience, uh, wonderful at that time in life, uh, lots of travel, of course. And, uh, you know, anybody who's, who's worked for themselves understands that, you know, there are going to be lulls occasionally. So in those lulls, uh, I'm, I'm originally from Columbia, Missouri. So I asked, you know, the individuals at, at the University of Missouri, you know, can I come volunteer my time and just gain experience? Because I, uh, I'm always looking to improve in even, uh, you know, with, with any opportunity that, that I can find and uh, was able to, you know, help out there. You know, when I wasn't traveling, I got my and that, it ended up being kind of one of the more influential, uh, you know, decisions of my life to volunteer somewhere. Uh, because I was, I, I got the chance to work with people like Pat Ivey, um, who is now at the University of Louisville. He's heading up, you know, the program there. Um, he was getting his his PhD in psychology at the time. Um, we had Brian Mann, who was getting his PhD um, in exercise science, and obviously, you know, the leader in kind of the VBT space and, and other spaces as well. And then we also had Andrew Paul there who was, uh, you know, getting his DPT at the time. And now he's, you know, director of performance, I think, in rehabilitation for OKC. Uh, so it was just amazing. I think that opportunity, I didn't realize at the time, but you realize after like all the rock stars that were, that were <laughs> in that, you know, place at one time. And it was just a pleasure to kind of really learn from those guys. Um, and they really, they really taught me, you know, uh, you know, not verbally, but just through their actions, essentially that, you know, you have to continually to push, you know, continue to push yourself. And, and that was when the spark hit in my mind of, you might want to consider, you know, progressing yourself in your career, um, from an academic standpoint. So I knew like, 
I was more analytical in nature and I had interest in sports science and, and data science. So I made the decision to, to, you know, kind of leave what I was doing on, on tour to uh, start this, this PhD journey. And that ended up being, um, talked to several schools, but I ended up settling on the University of Connecticut. Uh, I had just really great interactions with my advisor, who was uh, Dr. Doug Casa, who's just a leader in the heat and hydration space. And he had started uh, a nonprofit called the Corey Stringer Institute. And they were really interested in uh, a lot of sports science initiatives at the time as well. Um, so we were getting grants for you know, with the NCAA to do large athlete monitoring projects. Uh, so that ended up being my dissertation while I was there and uh, was able to work really heavily in, in soccer at that point in time and uh, just just uh, study sports science. What I ended up doing was, and they were really, they were really good about allowing me to um, kind of develop myself uh, in the way that I wanted to, which I knew kind of the future of sports science was you're going to have to have pretty significant data skills. Um, so a lot of my coursework was uh, in our business analytics department at UConn. So taking courses on, um, you know, database management, understanding relational databases, uh, learning SQL or SQL, uh, modeling, uh, forecasting, uh, you know, predictive algorithms, things, things of that nature. Um, so I really tried to upskill as, as much as I could, uh, in addition to kind of my exercise science route. Um, but yeah, graduated, finished up in 2019 there. And then, um, I would say pretty shortly after got, got the call from, from the Spurs, which is where I've been, you know, since then. And I'm in a sports science and, and slash kind of performance coach role currently, I would say, yeah, the balance is, you know, 90% sports science, um, really have really heavy on the, on the data side. Um, but they still, they still let me work with athletes, which, which I love to do. So, uh, it's been a good, good, good gig. And how important, how important is that Ryan? That last little bit that you said that you still yeah, have. Yeah. Yeah. I know the athletes, not only from you, but from, from a skill set perspective. Yeah. I, yeah, I've, I've had to think on that for, for quite a while. And, you know, I've, you know, I've, the conclusion that I've come to essentially is that if you're integrated and you're working with practitioners side by side, um, you understand and see what the problems are and what they're dealing with. Um, and then also you as a performance coach or you as a medical practitioner, you can more readily see kind of where the gaps are and where the holes are that need to be filled or the inefficiencies or um, you know, where you can be a more effective in particular areas. So I think it's, I think it's important. Um, now, you know, in every situation that's, you know, it, it may not be work, but it depends on the organization depends on, you know, where your, where your team is at. But I think it would be massively, I think it's massively beneficial for me to be able to do my job on the sports science side more effectively. If you don't mind, just so everyone's aware, when I when we line up a podcast, I, I fire over three main points, and then we have these kind of themes that run through. Can we jump to the third point around data, Ryan? Is that all right? Yeah, sure. It seems to it seems to fit in here quite nicely. And my thoughts around this topic was based on your background, knowing that you were a performance coach, um, primarily from your from your background, but had gravitated towards the sports science and the data side. And then 
took me back to the a tweet that Jose Fernandez, someone that we both know, um, you, you know Jose more than I do, but I'm getting to know him a lot more with what we've got going on at the minute. A tweet that he put out around the minimum required, minimum required data skills for an SNC coach or, or performance coach, which got a, as it does on Twitter, a polarizing response. But I'd love to put that to you and get your opinion whether there are minimum skills to be effective and efficient as a strength and conditioning coach or performance coach. Or do we not need that? That's just a, a preference and it depends on the organization. But are there? do we have minimum requirements is what I'm saying yeah, as an SNC yeah. coach? No, it's it's a great question, and you know, Jose's done I think an excellent job of you know being very thorough with with his answer. Uh, yeah, thank you, I guess, for the polarizing question. I'm sure you know we'll get blown up on Twitter, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I see both sides. Um, I think to your to the latter point there, I think it depends uh, on the context of, of the situation that you're in. I think there are instances where uh, a coach really, I, I hesitate to say zero, um, but I mean, really close to zero uh, as far as data skills where, where they would you know, need particular data skills. You think about you know, somebody who's in a pro sports environment, um, you know, you know, a strength coach is surrounded by uh, sports scientists, data scientists, and so forth. Um, they're the ones that are kind of organizing data structure and, and reporting systems. Um, so there are, there are minimum, you know, skills, minimal skills that are actually needed. Uh, you think about the, you know, certain coaches are, are good at, uh, are much better at other things. You think about their experts socially and that motivate, motivating players. So you still want them, you know, in their organization, even though may, they may not be able to assist kind of from a, from a data perspective. Um, you think about also, you know, particular coaches that are, you know, really good on court or on pitch, you know, you think transitioning, return to play, things of that nature. Are they still adding, in, you know, a ton of value to your organization, even though they don't have data skills 100% and, and you can't, you know, replace those individuals. Ideally, you would love for them, you know, to have some sort of skills. Um, but it's, it's going to depend on the team and organization. As you start getting, I guess, uh, in situations and organizations where, you know, there are less, um, you know, data skills, then you're going to be more, need to be more self-sufficient. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, my general, I guess, thought pattern um, and kind of my mode of operation and how I've been throughout my career is you want to try to be as, as self-sufficient as possible. Um, so I think having knowledge as a strength conditioning coach on kind of the data pipeline in the sense of data collection, uh, how to do that appropriately, um, understanding validity, reliability, um, understanding how you're going to store your data, whether that's through, you know, an athlete management system, or maybe you're going to go through a, an Excel or CSV uh, storage system. Um, having some sort, sort of, uh, I guess, analysis skills. Um, hopefully you, you've acquired some sort of visualization and then some sort of reporting because Whatever you're collecting, you're you're going to want to disseminate, whether that's to athletes, uh, coaches, front office, whoever it is. Um, so as I said, basic data management skills, uh, being, able to, being able to work with athlete management systems, if you're lucky enough to have those in your organization, because you think about, you know, uh, AMSs such as Edge 10 or Coach Me Plus or Smartbase, 
you know, they have particular forms and data structures where you enter information either manually. So it's already going to control a lot of the issues that you would have uh, if you're working in an Excel or a CSV document where you, you know, type a letter in a numeric column or you have inconsistencies. There's, you know, you're not using data validation. So you mistype, you use caps and, you know, for a particular uh, list or something of that nature. So AMSs are, are a great, you know, way to, um, uh, to overcome, I guess, those, those issues. So you're not spending a bunch of time on the back end, um, you know, cleaning, cleaning data. In general, I think having knowledge of, you know, what's wide versus long format and, and data structures, I agree with, with, um, you know, with Jose on those, uh, on those areas. I think the ability to just do basic summary stats, which, I mean, we all, we all learn, um, you know, uh, before eighth grade, which is, you know, looking at minimum, maximum, looking at range, um, you know, standard deviations, coefficient of variation, things of that nature. Um, being able to do that by group. So in Excel, um, that would be something like a, you know, pivot table, which I'll be the first to admit, um, my skills, my Excel skills are probably that of like a fourth grader. I don't, I don't work, <laughs> <laughs> I don't work in Excel very much at all, to be honest. Uh, uh, I work, uh, primarily in, in different programming languages. So I work in R and, and SQL and that's how I, um, you know, manipulate data. But a lot of people, you know, work in Excel and in, and it's a wonderful tool, um, for, for most people. I think also if you can develop, um, some skills, in transforming and in mutating data, uh, being able to create uh, new variables. So you think about like, how are you going to express, uh, you know, an athlete's score? Well, you're probably going to ex uh, express. You want to standardize it and, and you know normalize it in certain certain instances through like a, a Z score, a T score. Um, percentiles are are great. Um, and then, and then STEN scores as well. Some people like to use those as well. It's kind of whatever's digestible within your organization. And hopefully you have consistency between kind of what you're, um, what you're putting out and what the rest of the organization's putting out, you know, maybe from an analytics perspective. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think, you know, to expand on that just a little bit more is I'd say basic, just data visualization skills. Um, you think about, you know, if you're going to put tables together, being able to conditionally format um, tables, uh, looking at bar and column charts, um, if you're looking to compare means, things of that nature. Line graphs are, are great for showing longitudinal trends. Um, and then, you know, box plots, things of that nature for data dispersion and uh, getting a sense of kind of the range of the data. Uh, but you can keep extrapola extrapolating that out and just keep going as far as skills. But I would say... You know, if, if you can, you know, have a sense of, you know, of those skills, uh, you know, I think those four or five points there, I think that's, that would be really beneficial as a strength conditioning coach. Just on the data visualization side, and I'd like to dive a little bit deeper because this is getting, I mean, you're more in this world than I certainly am, but I think how, how well that kind of content is received on social media means it gets super popular whether it's people visualizing things in google dot in google sheets or excel or whatever it is it does get a lot of attention because it's you know people make stuff look really nice um and really appealing to to the eye in terms of principles i know you've mentioned a couple there but is there any principles that you live by certain things that you thought would work but 
but absolutely fell on deaf ears and you know you'd never go there again for various different reasons or things that were the opposite that you'd think never work but have actually worked any principles that you live by yeah i mean i think the most important thing uh, to me personally is whatever you're displaying needs to be displayed accurately and honestly and that that's the first priority as best you can um you know you think about simple things such as you know, having your axis go to zero, you know, so it's, it's not deceitful uh, when you're looking at, you know, differences between means or, or something of that nature. Using error bars, things of that nature when you can. Um, being able to look at, you know, uh, the, the use of both box plots and scatter plots together, looking at dispersion of data, looking at uh, data distribution, histograms and things of that nature. Um, so I guess trying to be you know, as, as honest as you can um, with with how you're uh, displaying data, I think is most most important. And I think, you know, also, I guess, to, to go off of that a little bit more, and I love the the write-up that, that Johan went and did uh, on, you know, on Sportsmith. On, it was, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. I thought he did uh, just an amazing job. And I was really honored that he was, um, you know, able to use the, the uh, combine package that, that I had put out. Um, but I, he hit on some uh, points there that all, you know, kind of back up and echo and, and things that I've found throughout my career. And the first one is, is aesthetics. I'm, I'm a big one just on aesthetics. I like to be uh, creative. Um, as I mentioned before, I work primarily in, in R and you have wonderful packages for both static and, and dynamic charting and plotting and things of that nature. Uh, R is, is, is really great for visualization if, if anyone's looking um, to get into a programming language. Um, but I think you want to you want to create things that are attractive to the eye, right? You want them to be clean. Uh, you want them to look professional. Um, it shows essentially that that you care that you're you care what they're looking at um, and you've put time and effort into it. Um, I think that they're going to want to, you know, look at the data that you're presenting. You also, I think, uh, you th to piggyback off that just a little bit, you think about all the time and effort that went, in, went into, you know, the entire data process and pipeline. Um, because it's not just you collecting data, you know, depending on the organization that you're in. Most of the time, strength conditioning coaches are assisting uh, with certain aspects of data collection, um, you know, sports medicine practitioners, whether it's PTs, ATCs, you have analytics who built out, you know, APIs and uh, pipelines for game stats and things of that nature. So the things that you're presenting have a lot of effort behind them. So I think it, it would be a disservice uh, to present, you know, ugly charts and ugly charts and graphs. So try to focus on, I try to focus on aesthetics as much as possible. And that, that comes down to also, you think about, you know, branding, uh, putting logos, images, things of that nature, anything you can do to, to make it look clean and professional um, for your organization, I think people are going to appreciate. Um, I think also things like uh, if you can have organizational consistency on how you present uh, information, or I'm sorry, like how you display information. So you think about like color theming, you know, just simple things such as background, whether you're going to go all white or maybe a light gray. Um, you know, I, ideally you wouldn't have some sort of obnoxious, like bright color, but you would want consistency um, and, you know, neutral colors. Um, 
and just make sure that they're hopefully you're getting you know consistency between departments whether it's you know the sports medicine and, and performance department and the analytics department and so forth um, I think also things uh, such as fonts you know you want to try to keep exactly yeah. I was thinking is you going to mention fonts yes. yeah yeah, yeah. no it's, it's important and I, yeah fonts I would say you, you definitely want to uh, keep consistency um as much as you can, like when, whenever I create, uh, so I write um, like web applications and I build both static and dynamic reports, um, you know, for organizations. And I try to keep, you know, when I'm working for a particular organization, I try to keep everything relatively consistent as far as backgrounds and color themes and things of that nature. So you're not feeling like you're going into a new, you know, system when you're viewing um, when you're viewing, uh, you know, charts and, and graphs and visualizations and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, I mean, main things, try to be as honest as you can, uh, try to be as aesthetically pleasing as you can. Um, I'm a huge proponent of just interactive charts and also being flexible. Uh, so I say interactive because I, I like to build, um, interactive tools, uh, predictive you know, web apps and tools and things of that nature. Um, but some individuals in your organization, you know, they just want to look at a PDF report, uh, which is which is great and fine. And you need to be prepared for that, too. Uh, you meet, need to be able to um, put that into a, you know, a digestible, I guess, static form, um, as opposed to having an interactive tool uh, where somebody can explore with a little bit. So there's a, you know, there's a spectrum and you know, you need to kind of cater to, to what individuals want to look at. I bet your marketing department love you. You just, <laughs> described, you just described their brand guideline document that is, uh, that sounds like it's been, it's been copied and, uh, and stuck to by, uh, by the T. So yeah, good work. <laughs> That's sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, yeah, I just, as I said, just try to be, um, that's always been the way that I've been though. I think, you know, if you're taking pride in, in what you're doing, um, you know, you're, you're going to try to really focus on it and try to make it look as, as, as good as you can. Mm. One difficult question that I'm going to put to you now, Ryan, when it comes to data and how you collect it, present it, visualize it, how do you measure the impact of that 90% of your time? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's certainly a, a challenging question um, because you think about, you know, what do what do uh, individuals or what do organizations care about? Um, and they care about wins and losses, you know, primarily. I mean, so you think about how multifactorial and complex, you know, things such as wins and losses are. Um, so at the end of the day, you're you're, you know, hopefully not going to be judged you know, 100% on, on wins and losses, but you want to try to affect those as, as best you can. I think from a, you know, from a performance and medical perspective, um, you focus on things, uh, such as injuries. Um, I think, you know, over time, um, organizations, you know, based on where they're at and, and the system that they're delivering, they're going to regress to the mean. So you may have one particular year where, you know, you've, you've had, uh, a rush of injuries in, in a particular area or the front office, you know, brings in a free agent or somebody that, 
has a, it's a long-term rehabilitation project. So he's already going to miss, you know, or she's already going to miss three quarters to, to the full season. Um, and that, that goes on to, you know, your overall, you know, games missed and kind of how your, um, you know, the, the aggregate statistics that you display at the end. But I think in general, you know, you want to try to influence, uh, and try to mitigate injury risk. Um, use things such as injury rates, you know, per exposure hour, I think are uh, meaningful metrics, um, looking things such as, uh, seasonal player availability, um, look at, you know, the amount of games that are lost, um, and you can extrapolate, you know, based on the player's worth, what the actual financial, you know, burden of, of those injuries are. And, uh, I won't, I won't, you know, call any, you know, teams out, but I mean, we have information. I mean, you collect information on, you know, the player contracts and how many games they've lost. So you can understand, you know, the amount of money that some organizations, and if you, if you aggregate that are losing, and if you aggregate that over, you know, a period of five to seven years, um, I mean, for some organizations, it's in the, in the billions with the B, it's a lot of money. Um, so those are things that you're, you're trying to impact, you know, through injuries, trying to save, save the organization as much money as possible. Um, also, you know, anthropometrics like body composition, trying to improve or, or maintain, you know, body composition, um, over a rigorous season. Um, you know, the NBA is, is, is quite challenging. So you try to, you know, positively affect, you know, the, the athlete from a, uh, from a physical and, and physio- physiological aspect the best you can. And then there's always like uh, performance aspects that you're trying to uh, you're trying to improve throughout the season, um, stronger, faster, better. You know, change of direction. Hopefully, that's translating on court. But um, yeah, I mean, that's why you collect uh, lots of different types of data uh, because you know you're going to be asked to quantify that by the organization. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Ryan. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around data collection and some of the data that is collected at the Spurs and the must-haves and the things that have recently fallen by the wayside when it comes to data collection. So really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Omega Wave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com and their social media channels. And this episode of the podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU. iMeasureU is used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. 
IMU Step from iMeasure U is a dual sensor, an app, lower limb load monitoring tool, which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. iMeasure U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer life battery to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasure U, now part of Vicom, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, the US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about iMeasure U, head over to their website imeasureu.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. And now back to the episode with Ryan. I don't mean to throw all these kind of polarising topics your way, Ryan, especially in the first half hour of sort of talking for the first time, but injury, injury prediction, that's something that is very much on people's minds and has been for quite a while, but I think even more so now with certain technologies that have that are been used by people that are winning leagues and winning championships and things like that what's not to go too much into it and spend the next half hour on it but i'd love to get your take on this whole area yeah i mean it's it's a great question just for, you know for me personally because it was something that um you know throughout my time at uconn and throughout my phd it's what i really really focused on um because we were doing large-scale research projects um you know we you know, my, my dissertation was on a 12-team, uh, three-year uh, perspective cohort study where we were looking at NCAA uh, Division One soccer athletes, and we were working with all these different institutions and coordinating large projects and uh, large sports science uh, athlete monitoring projects because um, the NCAA at that point in time had some, you know, interest in, in altering their schedule and understanding kind of how the schedule was impacting um, injuries and, and so forth. So, I dove kind of headfirst into the injury analytics space and uh, really tried to understand the beasts, you know, that uh, that we're dealing with. And I would say, you know, Sam Robertson obviously is is the authority on this on this particular issue. Uh, he's put out numerous threads and, and podcasts, so I would refer listeners to to him. Certainly, he's. He's uh, developed these, you know, thoughts about injury prediction a little bit more than I have. But from my understanding, um, you know, I tr I tried to go back, uh, you know, to understand injury at the core because I think to understand injury prediction, you have to understand the complexity of of injury in and of itself. And and I settled on you know complex systems theory, um, and essentially it goes back to you know, you know how complex injuries occur um, are related to essentially uh, this complex systems problem. And what is a complex system? Um, well, I guess like the most, uh, I guess, simple uh, definition that I could find is essentially a whole. So us being humans. Uh, with unit parts that are that are interacting with uh, with each other dynamically, um, and what are what are units or, or parts? I like to think of them as um, both modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors that are influencing your behaviors and um, 
you know, how things are, are occurring uh, in sport. So you think about things such as, um, you know, uh, biomechanical factors, so dynamic joint stabilities in the hip and the knee. Uh, you think about behavioral factors, um, you know, running mechanics, uh, things of that nature. Um, physical factors like non-modifiable, such as age, and then modifiable, such as range of motion, you know, in, in particular areas or mobility. Um, psychological, such as mood, um, and then, you know, physiological aspects that are that are influencing kind of uh, our readiness or, for, or fatigue state or risk or, I guess, ad- adaptive profile per se. Um, you think about like HRV um, or resting heart rate kind of gives us an indication of, you know, overall, um, you know, physiological status. But you, th- you think about all these things that are dynamically changing and interacting with one another. And, and what I've come to understand is, is what's called a web of determinants, where the determinants are all these factors and they're connected and they're reacting with one another dynamically um, and nonlinearly. And um, they lead to, as I mentioned before, kind of a risk or adaptive, or sorry, a risk or protective profile. So you think about someone who doesn't sleep well um, or you know is inef- inefficient at sleeping. You know they're influencing kind of more of the risk profile as opposed to someone who's you know focusing in that particular area. That's you know influencing a factor that is. Uh, that is um, positively, uh, you know, affecting the individual. So I guess not to go too deep into the weeds here. Um, it's important, I think, to understand that all these factors are interacting with one another. They're all dynamic. Um, they're all interacting uh, linearly, and they're causing. Um, once you have the emergence of what's called some sort of emergence phenomena, whether it's you know I'm, I'm running and I'm reaching out for a ball or Uh, overstriding or something of that nature, all these factors are affecting whether you incur a hamstring strain. And then once that occurrence happens, whether you, you know, are completely fine and your hamstring adapts or you have an injury, um, you have what are called recursive feedback loops, which essentially are again affecting um, those factors that are playing. So you're never, you're never the same. You're always changing. So you think about that in an injury prediction uh, standpoint, you identify risks or you understand, identify patterns, which is why you use uh, different machine learning tools. Um, you know, you think about random forests or decision trees, neural networks, things of that nature. Um, those algorithms are based or are able to find uh, patterns. They're pattern recognition algorithms. Um, but you, you, when you start to think about the, the volume of information that you would need to uh, collect, you know, based on those, you know, five or six factors that I just said, um, it's, it's, it's staggering. So I think that's kind of the, the basis for me of where, you know, just understanding the complexity of injury, I think, is, is important before you kind of get into and really understand injury prediction, um, because you start to question, you know, how much information is, is being collecting, you know, by these organizations. They're getting information on, you know, if they're working with teams, they're getting GPS, they're getting schedule, they're getting game measures, things of that nature. They might be, you know, getting some sort of internal, either subjective or objective information from the organization. But how descriptive is that, you know, 
or how complete is that going to be? Because you have all these factors that are that are interacting with one another. So I think I think the next like logical question is, what would you need to do uh, to have a successful prediction algorithm? Um, and I go, I go back to you know what Sam you know his his famous tweet of uh, essentially I think he said injury prediction is a waste of time. I think. I think that's what he said. Uh, Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I thought about that. And initially, my reaction was, huh, you know, because I, I love injury analytics and, and prediction. I had to think about it for a little bit. But you think about uh, the time and, and the resources and the amount of data. I would have to agree for most organizations and most teams, uh, especially if you're just collecting information on your team on a small subset of guys, um, Injury prediction is 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 a complete waste of time. Um, you should, you'd be better served working in other areas. Um, so you think about like what you would need. You would need an established data infrastructure. Uh, you would need pipelines for data storage and and cleaning. You would need really good data quality on all those different factors that we mentioned. Um, so you need to have techs that have uh, you know are valid, reliable, have minimal error. Um, you would need a diversity of data sources, all those factors that I mentioned, you need a very large volume of data. So not just, you know, a small subset of, you know, 15 to 20 athletes, you would need multiple athletes, um, multiple teams over multiple years. Um, and you would need thousands and thousands of injuries. It's hard to quantify exactly like how much you would need to get accurate pattern recognition. Um, but you would need uh, a very large amount of injuries. Um, you would need someone, whether you're outsourcing that or whether you've got someone internal, you would need to, you know, it comes down to, to paying for that particular resource because you would need someone with machine learning experience, um, somebody who has uh, expertise in modeling what's called a class imbalance problem, which injury prediction is a class imbalance problem. Um, you think like fraud analytics or, in, uh, yeah fraud analytics and insurance. It's the same type of problem because most of the time, no injury is occurring. 99% of the time, no injury is occurring. 99% of the time, there's no, there's no fraud. Um, but you need to understand kind of how to, how to deal with that, um, uh, that class imbalance problem. So, so somebody experienced in that particular area, you would need engineers to deploy a model, um, and the predictions, um, as I mentioned before, you would need a, not only a high number of athletes, but you need a diverse, uh, I guess, pool of athletes uh, to help generalize um, the model. You would need, uh, you think about like what would be ideal um, because most of the you know prediction algorithms from various companies, they're giving you predictions, um, you know, before the session. Um, but ideally in the real world, you know, you're accumulating load during a session, you'd want to have that information and you'd want that algorithm to be running, you know, real time or near real time to tell you, okay, I need to, um, you know, ease up or, or do more in this particular area, whether that's, you know, volume or intensity metrics and so forth. Um, but that, that just isn't possible currently with computing power and um, it's just you know, not, a, not a possible thing. Um, I think 
the bigger issue um, is what Sam has hit on, and, and it's his first point, you know, in his tweet, which is the issue of of what are called true positives. So whenever you are doing predictions, you know, one versus zero, you have, you know, what what actually occurred versus what what you predicted. Um, and a true positive is essentially you predicted it and it occurred. Um, and that presents an unethical scenario. If you, you know, predicted and you have some sort of inclination, then an athlete is, is going to get hurt and you, you don't pull them or you don't, you know, alter their session. Um, that would be, that would be unethical. And I think just kind of the final point in that particular area is, you know, whenever you're getting predictions from one of these algorithms, you're getting probabilities. Um, and you could say, you could take the higher probability, whether that's a one or a zero and say, you know, they're going to get injured or not. But you could also use that as a continuous uh, variable in the sense of you, you then have to decide what is a high enough probability for you to do. And that's when Sam talks about operationalizing, like how do we just select what is the appropriate probability to to alter, you know, someone's activity or arrest them. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult problem that, that I don't think anybody has a, an answer to. Mm -hmm. Very comprehensive. I like it. We've been diving into that. That was quite a while ago. I think he did an update on it not long ago, but I think the original thread that he did a couple of years ago was, was um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Just to move, just to move on to the the more day-to-day -day stuff and i've got to be respectful here of what you can and aren't able to share from a from an organizational perspective but i want to dive into um ensuring athlete buying and long-term consistency with the assessments that you run the, at the organization with the organization the players uh, and the data that you collect and i just want to get a an insight into what your day looks like when it comes to the, the testing and assessments of the athletes that you work with. And then we'll, there's, there's loads of, there's loads of questions that I want to ask off the back of that, but just to get a bit of a, a day in the life of Ryan would be, would be great. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, that's definitely for, for any organization, those are, you know, questions that you have to answer a little bit more um, generally, but I, you know, I think, you know, from a, from a data collection standpoint, so so a big part of you know my role is is um, helping to manage and assist in, in data collection processes, is helping to build out reporting systems, um, automating uh, data flows, um, answering research questions, uh, building modeling tools, things of that nature. Um, that's that's kind of my day to day, in addition to kind of my, my performance responsibilities. Um, but you think about like data, um, you know that you would that you would need or or want to have. Uh, generally, I think everyone would agree, uh, for the most part, um, that you would need some sort of uh, you know sense of what the athletes are are doing, what type of stress they're being exposed to, and you do that through um, you know several means. You have uh, you know you're you're trying to capture load. A lot of times it's through a wearable technology. Um, you know the Kinexon is very popular. Uh, in the NBA as well as, as Catapult. So different teams are using, um, you know, different wearable technologies uh, in conjunction with some sort of internal load monitoring system. Usually that's heart rate. Um, a lot of organizations are also getting, you know, think, you know, session RPE, things, things of that nature to try to quantify uh, internal stress. Um, but in general, you think about, you know, the NBA, um, it's an 82 game season. It's 
three to four games per week. It's very condensed schedules. Um, you know, lots of lots of challenges with managing stress. So, ideally, you would want to quantify uh, the stress that's that's being imposed on the athlete from a training and game perspective. Um, so, I, load I think is 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 an important one. Um, you know, I think the NBA is kind of, uh, you know, uh, and even the Spurs in, in general have kind of brought this uh, load monitoring, you know, terminology to to light. Um, uh, it's been, it was meant in a different context before, but I think the, as much as you can quantify what the athletes are doing, um, I think is important to help, to help manage uh, the stress. Um, other information that I think you would you would need uh, to help do your job effectively is is our very detailed information on injuries um, which is which is difficult because you think about like what your you know the athletes that on your team and in your organization you know exactly what's happening you have access to detailed information um, you know imaging uh, things of that nature so you know exactly um, you know where the athlete is and what the injury is um, but you also want to have a sense of what other athletes in in the sport, um, in the league, or you know what what injuries are they occurring? And oftentimes that's that's very difficult, uh, depending on how athletes' um, injuries are coded, um, and in trying to decipher, you know, was that game missed because of a particular injury, or was it rest and recovery? So it's a little bit more challenging, but. To be able to compare yourself uh, to other organizations and to the league in general, uh, as I was mentioning, looking at injuries and injury rates and so forth and availability, you want to have a sense of what kind of everybody's doing um, to help show kind of, you know, what what you're doing um, and how your system is is working. But uh, again, what what is an injury? That's that's a difficult question. For is it. You know something that leads to any sort of time loss, whether that's in a training session or a game or match, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, is it resulting in only games missed? Is it you know I've heard some people want more conservative measures of of injury, like three games missed. So each organization has to decide kind of how they you know how they decide what they're going to code as an actual you know actual injury. Uh, there's just a lot of a lot of complexity around there, and then I think in general, just athlete profiling data. You have to show you know that you're making positive changes with athletes. You know, I already talked about things like anthropometrics, um, looking at uh, strength. You know, there's different ways of measuring strength, and different different teams are going to do different things. Whether that's you know three rep maxes or using a force plate and doing uh, IMTP. Um, using various other force-based technologies. Um, you think about, you know, what's the primary movement of the sport? It's running. So you would probably want to have a sense of um, their running mechanics, um, sprinting mechanics, different ways of, of looking and quantifying that. Um, looking at asymmetries, uh, I think, are also important. Um, want to quantify their ability to jump. Uh, jumping, it, I mean, there's... a a lot of vertical displacement in in, uh, in basketball, so you want to know how they're landing uh, and absorbing forces and redistributing those forces. Uh, so changing direction, their ability to decelerate, foundational movement patterns are important. Um, do they have good you know single leg strength? Are they good bilaterally as well? 
Uh, are they explosive? And then a sense of obviously their their cardiovascular fitness um, is is important. Which you know, the gold standard would be you know uh, some sort of VO2 max test, uh, which can be you know quite difficult to get an athlete to do. So you might have to be creative in those. Uh, some organizations have to be creative in regards to how you assess you know what what the actual uh, you know fitness status of of the athlete is. Is there any measures or any data points that you have introduced and then reduced, you know, removed from the program, removed from the setup? Or is there anything that you thought was two questions in one ear, Ryan? Sorry. If there's anything that you thought wasn't going to be useful, but you introduced it and it's become more useful. One thing that I just, as a, as an example, spoke to um, one guy who heads up the performance and rehab for Irish rugby. And it was, um, they were running through his daily monitoring uh, program and it was um, an ISO calf monitoring um, tool that they were they introduced and that became a little bit more sensitive than some other stuff. So yeah, just having, and I, again, sense, very sensitive to what, what's going on at the organization, but is there anything that you can elaborate on there? Yeah, I think, you know, because we, we talk about this a lot and we think about this a lot and... I would say, you know, I can speak in generalities in the sense that, uh, you know, the, the biggest point that you need to consider when you're implementing a new technology or implementing a new measure, you're trying to add something to your program is, is evaluating, uh, number one, you would, you're going to have a specific question or a specific gap uh, that needs to be filled. And, and that has to, that has to come first. Um, it has to be something relevant, um, you know, maybe you have various technologies looking, uh, you know, looking at different areas, whether that's sleep or load or, um, you know, their ability to produce force, things of that nature. If you're adding information that is overlapping, then that obviously is, is not not useful. So it has to begin with a, with a question, uh, a research question or a gap that you have um, to help feed your kind of your information and your your decision support system. Um, as far as like what's removed or, or even like what's not used, um, I think it's important to have, you know, a very solid um, technology vetting system. Um, so you need to work with these companies before you implement them with with athletes um, to better understand the validity things as, such as validity, reliability. Um, hopefully they've had some sort of published works, um, if, if not at least white papers, or they've done research with other organizations that they can share. Um, and you just want to be very, uh, you know, my experience, very thorough, uh, because obviously uh, the goal of tech companies is, is to sell their tech, um, and they may not be answering a question that you have specifically. Um, so you don't want it to overlap with what you already have currently. Um, it needs to fill some sort of gap. The data collection itself, uh, you know, depending on the maturity of, of your data infrastructure, it can't be cumbersome uh, to deal with. It can't. Uh, it can't be. It can't. You can't have to uh, invest a lot of resources. You think about things such as like exporting uh, CSVs, you know, manually cleaning and then uploading to an AMS. Somebody has to physically do that, and and that takes you know time away from what they what they could be focusing on or what they could be doing. So, you know, techs that have APIs, you know, that links 
you know, with your management system, um, you know, things of that nature where, where it's not, uh, it's not difficult to, to get that information and get that data. And I think kind of the last point in that area that I'll hit in, hit on just, just generally is you have to, you have to seek, uh, well, yeah, I would say you have to seek feedback on what you're implementing from coaches, from staff, um, because if you're receiving poor buy-in and maybe, you know, what you're having them wear is not comfortable or, or they just don't want to do it as time consuming, it's really not worth your time to, to really push that technology. So, um, those are things that you just have to, you know, generally need to, need to be aware of. Perfect. Right. I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions on probably what we are going to originally ask at the start and dive into at the start, but I think it'd be nice to finish off with. And from someone with your varied experience coming from collegiate military tennis uh, and then into, into basketball, how did you add value early on? How did you show your worth in them first three, six, nine months coming into an organization? I think this is more pertinent than ever. As more people switch from sport to sport, I suppose like 10 years ago, you'd be a basketball guy or you'd be a football guy, a rugby guy, a cricket guy, baseball guy. Now there's this kind of mixture of, uh, of skills and people are actually seeking out more diverse skill sets from from other uh, sports and organizations. So I think this question is more pertinent than ever, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And that's definitely been kind of the, um, the trajectory of my career. I've, you know, I've had opportunities to work in, in different, different sports, different domains, even the military, um, collegiate environment, pro sports environment as an athletic trainer, as a strength coach and sport science, sports scientists and so forth. And, you know, I think working in, in different industries, um, there are pros and cons, obviously, um, but I think in general you can develop a pretty broad uh, skill set. Um, you think about like the, the different movement patterns in different sports that you're exposed to. Um, you think about the the different um, injuries, you know, uh, chronic overuse injuries and, and things. You know, that it's going to be much different in tennis than it is going to be in in basketball or or even the military. Um, so you, you get exposure to uh, managing, treating, rehabilitating, um, you know, different types of injuries, and then also designing preventative and, and corrective programs uh, and monitoring programs around, you know, the needs of those sports. So you develop kind of this, this overall uh, broad skill set, and then you try to, um, you know, based on the sport that you're in, try to, try to hone it to, you know, what the needs are of that particular sport. But I think in general, um, I guess just t- just talking, uh, you know, personally, I think when you have experience in different sports and different organizations, you start to understand what's normal um, and, and what's not normal. And you think about that from a positive and, and negative standpoint, um, you know, you're, uh, you know, often getting with organizations and the, the connection is great. There's good communication between medical and performance and uh and everything's very effective and efficient and you you learn that that is a great work environment and then you're in another work environment where maybe that communication is is not as good or maybe there are other um 
cultural barriers, things of that nature. So you start to get a sense of what's normal and what not, what's not normal. And that helps you, I think, to tease out kind of in the interview process as much as you can. It's hard to know until you actually get into the organization. But oftentimes you can get a sense of kind of what you're what you're stepping into. Um, yeah, just I think the, the main thing is, you know, just different different perspectives. You're learning, you're working with just by nature of it, you're learning to work with different personalities in a wide range of people just because you're ex- you're exposed to so many different types of people. I think that can be a, a skill set um, in and of itself um, because I think I, it's just sometimes um, <clears throat> many of the problems in the workplace are are dealing with those you know that you that you work with. Other times, not. It just depends on the situation that you're in, but. Um, you know, you look you look to uh, build relationships and, and communicate with all types of different people. Um, and I think also if I, if I'm talking about you know what the benefits of of varied experience, um, I think about like my challenges, you know, when I was working for the Marine Corps versus you know my challenges or uh, you know my situation here in the MBA. In the military, I was, you know, hired as kind of the first strength conditioning coach and athletic trainer at that uh, particular base. There was no, there was no structure. There was no infrastructure. We were building out uh, what was called a sports medicine and injury prevention program. Um, but, you know, being the first person on that base, the first contractor um, in the human performance space, uh, there was nothing to go off. So we were, you know, charged with setting up this uh, sports medicine and injury prevention clinic where Marines could come and uh, receive injury management treatment, you know, rehabilitation, return to duty services, things of that nature. So we had to bring those people in. Um, also, there was no, you know, there was no injury prevention program. Drill sergeants had had zero interaction, you know, with, with strength conditioning coaches. So you had to learn how to, um, you know, draw those people in and help, uh, you know, teach them how you could support their role. And I think about, you know, you compare that with the Spurs who, you know, you know, and other NBA organizations very mature, you know, in their structures. So you need a different skill set to be able to uh, add value, you know, in, in a in a mature system such as that. So in general, I, I think it's good uh, to get exposure. You learn lots of different things. You learn how to work with lots of different people. As far as like your question about adding value, um, I think it's a great question because it, it is it is difficult. I think at the beginning, especially if you're coming in from a sports science slash data science uh, perspective, because there's lots of information that you need to understand as far as data sources and structuring and uh, the inf- infrastructure of databases and how to how to extract information that you're trying to uh, that you would need uh, to create reports and. Um, interactive tools, things of that nature. <clears throat> but I, th- I think, you know, before that, uh, based on my experience, the, f- the first priority whenever you come into an organization, number one, is just to establish relationships. Uh, I think that should be, you know, the, the primary focus to help you to be effective in your job moving forward. So meeting, um, you know, having conversations with coaches, with medical personnel, with analytics, with front office, um, and just you know, building those relationships out and then also trying to observe and understand 
the current system that's in place rather than you know trying to bring what you what you've done you know with other organizations um, you know to the forefront right at the beginning I think it's it, I think it's super important to understand the system in place and and look for ways um, to to help optimize it so the most you know so first priority is establishing establishing relationships uh, understanding the system you're in and then understanding would be you know understanding why you're being hired uh, based on my experience in most instances you're hired for a, a particular reason um, and usually it's you know a particular skill set that you're bringing to the organization and if you're working in the MBA or NFL or pro sport, more than likely you're very you're experienced in, in multiple domains so you can also fill gaps you know, in other areas as needed, but that's not, that's not your primary responsibility. So in those first, you know, three, six, nine months, um, my recommendation, you know, based on what I've seen and experienced is, um, really try to own that particular area that you were brought in. Um, you're, you're probably going to know from the interview process, you're going to know, you know, from your first few weeks of being there, uh, specifically how you can help the organization. Um, but really, really focusing on that initially, I think is, is very important. Um, looking for ways to improve efficiency, um, automating tools um, would be things, you know, from a sports science, data science perspective that you would um, look to affect. And then I think, you know, just in general, just to finish up on that, um, being, a, being a problem solver, not, not necessarily looking for problems, but, um, you know, based on your experience, you're going to, you're going to see um, you know, what has worked in other organizations, what hasn't, you're going to be exposed to that system. And it's about finding solutions to maybe some inefficiencies that are, that are in that particular area that you're focusing on. Um, I think those are some of the, the quick ways that you can add value initially anyways. Love it. Answering the, la the first question last, which I think is a nice way to, uh, to finish up the conversation. So I really appreciate your time, Ryan. I know you, you push for time based on your, your schedule over in, over in Vegas, but um, anyone that wants to get in touch with you about anything that we discussed, or just wants to keep in touch with you on social media, where's the best place? Yeah. Um, the LinkedIn or, or Twitter typically. Um, I think, uh, I think Twitter is under uh, at Ryan M underscore Curtis. I think I'm not <laughs> positive on my handle there. Um, but yeah, I would say, I'd say Twitter or you connect with me on, on LinkedIn. I'm always looking to, uh, you know, connect with individuals in the space. So feel free to reach out. Love it. Right. I'm going to let you get back to it, but really appreciate your time, Ryan. Great to finally, um, put a face to a, an email address, face to a name and, uh, look forward to catching up soon. Yeah. Thanks absolutely. again. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cheers, Ryan. Thanks for tuning in to episode 407 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to Ryan for giving up his time during Summer League in Vegas. And big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Fusion Sport, Satanta College, Omega Wave, and I Measure You for sponsoring this episode today. It was a great chat with Ryan, and it was a pleasure talking to him about all things data, all things buy-in for technology, and obviously his background coming through military, collegiate, and tennis, and into basketball. So thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to chatting to you next week.